DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with Tan Books, presents Put on the Armor, a manual for spiritual warfare with Dr. Paul Thickpen. Dr. Thickpen is an internationally known speaker, best-selling author, and award-winning journalist who has published 43 books in a wide variety of genres and subjects, including The Rapture Trap, A Catholic Response to End Times Fever, and The Manual for Spiritual Warfare, the book on which this series is based. In 2008, Dr. Thickpen was appointed by the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops to their National Advisory Council. He has served the Church as a theologian, historian, apologist, evangelist, and catechist in a number of settings, speaking frequently in Catholic and secular media broadcasts and at conferences, seminars, parish missions, and scholarly gatherings. Put on the Armor, a manual for spiritual warfare with Dr. Paul Thickpen. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Paul, thanks again for joining me. Chris, great to be here. God bless you. In the Manual for Spiritual Warfare, there is an essential section, so important, and it's AIDS in the battle. Throughout it, you've taken some incredible resources and put them all together in one spot. Thank you so much. Thank you. How do you do a Manual for Spiritual Warfare unless you actually provide some weapons? (laughs) So the first part of the book was just to to kind of lay the foundation for the second part, which to me is the most important part, and that is to have magisterial documents and things from uh, Scripture and uh, from the saints, hymns and devotions that uh, they give us advice and wise counsel that help us to know what's going on, especially the Scripture giving us weapons we can use against the enemy the way Jesus did in, in the desert, in the wilderness, at his temptation, rosary, you know, reflections that we can use. All kinds of prayers. It's uh, the wonderful thing about being Catholic, and I've you know discovered this when I became Catholic, is is that you're just not on your own <laughs> for any of this kind of thing. If you got the battles going on or whatever it is, you've got two thousand years of the church's tradition, of prayers, of insights, of experience, um, and so anytime you're going to go into battle, you you don't want to go alone. You've got all these wonderful comrades we've talked about in previous uh, sessions and. The, the Lord has given us, the, the, the Lord, our commander, has given us the saints and the angels, Our Lady especially. But then one of the ways that the saints help us is for us to, to study their lives and listen to what they said and wrote uh, about these things, because they can give us so much wisdom. Chief among that wisdom can be found in the teachings, the magisterial teachings of the Church, in which, in the Manual for Spiritual Warfare, you, you give us quotations, but you also give us citations where we can even go even deeper. Yes, the Catechism of the Catholic Church has a, has a lot to say, so I've kind of just pointed to there. But, you know, one of the things I've, I've found, unfortunately, Chris, is that you do have some some Catholics, and even recently I heard about a priest uh, in a webinar who was saying that uh, there really is no devil, there's no personal, literal fallen spirit, you know, fallen, unclean spirit who's a devil, and, and no such thing as a demon, and that's kind of medieval superstition and that kind of thing. And, you know, a friend said to me, well, well, golly, you know, he's, he just dances around those issues, you know, and I said, well, no, he's not dancing around. He's actually contradicting the defined dogma of the church. Maybe what folks don't realize is that you have an ecumenical council that had dogmatic statements back in the Fourth Lateran Council back in 1215 that made it very clear. It says the devil and the other demons were indeed created by God, good by nature, but they became bad through themselves. Man, however, sinned at the suggestion of the devil. And then again in the Council of Florence, I won't read it all, but in 1431 to 45, 
it's part of the dogmatic teaching of the church, the defined dogma of the church, uh, of its existence, besides the fact that it's all through the scriptures we've talked about. So I think that's, uh, that's important for us to realize. It, if you deny the existence of demons, their reality, then you, you have, you've left Catholic teaching at that point. You're no longer submitting yourself to the, the authority and the, the teaching, the holy wisdom of the church. Yeah, we've discussed this time and time again, and I just think it, it, it bears repeating because the culture is pounding us. And as you said, even our own members on occasion will pound us over the head saying that there is no, no devil, there is no demons. And yet, not only in the magisterial teachings in which you've cited over and over again, but in the Holy Scriptures, it is so vividly, vividly clear and articulated. You know, I've got a whole section on that chapter eight, scriptures for the battle, and it does, you know, it just goes on and on. And the, the first section, I just kind of lay out what are the scriptural names and images for the devil and demons. And then I lay out uh, all the passages in scripture that have incidents involving the devil and demons, and it goes on for pages. And then of you know, of course, then beyond that, there are all kinds of things that we can learn from Scripture to, to fight the enemy. But just, just in the beginning, the Scripture itself, it's, it's all through Old Testament and New Testament that these things are real. And isn't it amazing, at least for me, I, I may have this experience that as I actually look at those pages, it's almost repulsive. I don't even want to look at them. <laughs> isn't that something? I mean, it, because it is overpowering how much there is. It is. And, it, you know, it can be distasteful. They have to think about it and and uh, meditate on it, but of course it's it's kind of like taking our medicine <laughs> if it's bitter. I think um, one of the most wonderful books that was uh, written not by by a Catholic Christian, but a man who's very close to Catholic in many ways, C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite writers, wrote a book that many people, probably many of our listeners, will know the Screw Tape Letters. And in that he was he was doing in kind of a fiction way some of what I wanted what I tried to do with this book, which is to lay out to expose the strategies of the enemy in trying to tempt us. Um, but the way he had to write it was to, or the way he decided to write it, was that um, he would write it from the point of view of us as if it were a series of letters between a senior demon and a junior demon, where the senior demon is advising the junior demon on how to tempt people and eventually get into hell. So it's, it's, it's spiritual warfare, but done from a different perspective. And he talked once, uh, I don't know if it was in the introduction of the book or another place, just about how hard it was to write the book. Because he's, he's, when he's having to put himself, trying to put himself in the mind of a demon for a while. Um, and I didn't have you know, quite that experience, but it still was, was hard for me to write the book sometimes, too. Because it's just, wow, to have to write about these things. It's almost like having to write a, you know, a manual about terrible diseases or something. It's, you, you have to keep your perspective the whole time. That yes, these things are terrible, but, and that's a part of the scripture section, too. What scripture and tradition makes clear is that Jesus is the victor. He is the conqueror, and through him we will be more than conquerors, as St. Paul says. And that's a tremendous value to all of us who have such a devotion to sacred scripture, to have a, a true and genuine appreciation that the words, when we say sacred scripture, we mean holy. That means there's a, there's a blessedness, there's a, and if there's a blessedness, there's a power, isn't there? Yes, that's uh, one of the things I talk about in the book is this, um, the power with sacramentals. And they're not like sacraments, and then they, they don't actually convey the grace themselves that the sacraments do. But they become, I like to use the kind of made up a term, they, the, they become an occasion of grace. And uh, a, a moment that, uh, an occasion, a situation that 
disposes us to grace, as the church says. And why is that? Well, because the sacramental has been blessed. And that's what a blessing does. It's a prayer that brings God's power into the situation, invokes the power of God. That's what a blessing does. So scripture is blessed in that, in that sense. It, it, it invokes it, it. It calls into our lives the power of God. And the reason I really emphasize that, Paul, as well, just because of, of what you just said, that in declaring God's holy word, we, we meditate on the scriptures, but also using that to aid us in the battle, we are doing very much so the same thing that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did when he was tempted in the in the desert. Exactly. We are we're responding to those temptations and things using the same weapons he used. And how many times in my life, and long before I became Catholic, because I you know, have a Pentecostal background, and, they, and Pentecostals tend to have a very strong sense, both of the devil and of how the Scripture can be used against them. But, to, but you're right. I mean, what did the Lord do in the wilderness? He, he quoted Scripture, and it kind of went in the devil's face. So how many times have I had to say in the last few months, quoting St. John, his first letter, greater is he who is in me than who, he who is in the world? Or, you know, the Psalms are so incredible this way. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though a host encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. I mean, wow, those are incredibly powerful words because they're true. Not just because they're beautiful, not just because they're stirring, but because they are true. And how many times have I had had to say that? The, the enemy comes in, you know, as I've talked about in the book, one of his strategies is to provoke fear in us, to make us afraid. The, the scripture says that, that, one of the, that the reason Jesus came, Jesus Christ came into the world, was to, to defeat the devil who through fear of death had enslaved the whole race, the whole human race. Fear, and, and ultimately this fear of death, but can be fear of other things, kind of less than death, but leading toward death. That's one of his strategies to keep us in bondage. How many times have people done the wrong thing or failed to do the right thing because they were afraid of something, opposition or whatever? And so when, when the devil comes to you with fear, this is a great passage to throw back. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though a host of encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Wow, <laughs> that's great stuff. It's tremendous. And it, it, and it's not so much that just saying the words vanquishes an enemy, but it has an even greater, richer aspect as that. As it does that, but it also has the power to transform us as well because we say what we, we believe and we are what we say. And so when we are reminded of these wonderful promises and the, the love of God for us, it is transformative for us. Christ responds with that inside of us, doesn't he, Paul, in vanquishing that assault? It is because if we take the word of God into our mouths, it builds faith. When we confess what we believe, why do we confess? Why do we have a confession of faith, the creed in mass, whether it's the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed? Because there's an importance to that. When God's people stand together and say, I believe, and God the Father Almighty and all the rest. That declaration of our faith does actually transform them, as you say, by building their own faith. It, it, 
you're, you're calling yourself to faith in a sense. You're, you're affirming, you're confirming your own faith. And what does St. Paul tell us about faith? When he talks about the armor of God that we talk about in the book here against the, the enemy's attacks, he says that you take up the shield of faith. And how does that protect you when the enemy sends his fiery darts, as he calls them, at you? The shield keeps them from hitting you. So, I mean, that's, it's so clear. When you take the word of God into your mouth that way and you affirm it and you confirm it and you say, yes, I believe this. It's not just kind of throwing sand in the enemy's face. As you say, it is also building up your own faith inside of you, making that shield stronger and tougher and more able to resist, to stop those diary, those fiery darts from the enemy. We'll return to Put on the Armor, a manual for spiritual warfare with Dr. Paul Thickpen in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. The Memorari Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly to thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Put on the Armor, a manual for spiritual warfare with Dr. Paul Thickpen. You know, we've discussed in previous conversations the importance of that authority and that order that in these battles, especially when they take on a dimension that's maybe above what we might 
called just the ordinary, which is temptations. When there is something, there's activity that's very strong and very evident. And those who minister to that and, and combat that, and I'm speaking of, of the exorcists who are engaged, and those that I've spoken to, Paul, have always fashioned their ministry as one of spiritual direction, first and foremost that what they are attempting to do in dealing with that soul who is under torment is to help them to do just what you said, to begin to guide them so that they, united with Christ, are able to vanquish that enemy. And, you know, that's too why there have been other books kind of written that focus on the extraordinary activity of the enemy, the kinds of things you hear about in Hollywood. And, of course, I mean, I'm laying out my... The foundation, I do have to, to talk about that a little, but the point of this manual is that they're going to be, if people need that, you know, have, have that kind of activity going on, they need to get to a priest and and let the, the folks with the proper authority deal with it. The point of this manual is, is kind of preventive in certain ways. It's before you ever get to that point, I hope for most people, that will help them. I mean, it's not exactly spiritual direction, but it's the same principle, that if, if this can help them to recognize what the battle is, how the enemy comes at us, know who are, what kind of weapons we have, the sacraments and prayer and scripture, and, and know that the virtues that we develop in ourselves are our armor, and then have prayers that we can pray to, to help, not just asking for God to help us, but also for the angels and saints. That can help them in the, the front lines of the battle without, and, and I hope prevent most of them from ever getting into the situation with the extraordinary stuff. Because that's, that's, that's really the front, front line that we all have to deal with. Thank goodness not everybody has to deal with the extraordinary activity of the, develop, of the devil, but every one of us has to deal with the ordinary activity. And that's why the book focuses on this kind of stuff that, for the same reason that you say the exorcists, you know, that you know that they focus on spiritual direction to try to help everyday Catholics to take up their, take up their weapons and develop their armor so they don't get into the bad situation. And really that's something that for Catholics, this incredible, I don't know how else to call it, a, a renaissance, as it were, our rediscovery, our reestablishment of the relationship with the Holy Word, with the sacred scriptures, has been so important so that Catholics can understand and appreciate what truly this gift of scripture is. It is. You know, I, um, I'm a convert. We've talked about that before. I uh, was you know, 20, almost 22 years now and um, was an evangelical Protestant pastor, ordained pastor before. And from the time of, of my conversion from atheism at the age of 18, and even before my time of atheism, when I was a young child, I'd been given to reading scripture and to memorizing it and studying it. And I, you know, gosh, I college studied Greek and Hebrew so I could do the original languages. And, and so it was just kind of, you know, a natural thing for me to, to live and breathe this. When I became Catholic, I saw all kinds of things that in the scripture, first of all, I'd never seen before. I understood ways to interpret it I'd never understood before. Um, but but one of the, I won't say a grief to me, but one of the challenges to me was was that I, I realized that there were I had come into the church at a time of this this renaissance that you're saying, um, where folks were beginning to rediscover the scripture. But a lot of folks, you know, there were people telling me, you know, I actually had a priest tell me when I was a kid um, that I, when I said I wanted to read the Bible, he said, well, you leave that to us, you know, the priest, we'll do that for you. And I don't know how often that happened, but but to see that their attitude had changed. And, and of course, the church had always wanted us to read the scriptures, just kind of a misinterpretation. But all this to say that 
So I was, I have been thrilled ever since I became Catholic to, to encounter other Catholics who say, help me understand the word. Let's, let's do it. And so I'm leading a Bible study right now in our little parish. And we, we don't even have, we maybe have 400 households and we regularly have 25 to 30 adults every Sunday morning showing up for that. They're just hungry and they're learning the kind of things we're talking about, just the power that is in the word of God. It's St. Paul calls it the sword of the spirit. And the book of Hebrews says that it's, it has a sharp, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to discern things. Wow. Sorry, you get me preaching about that, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go off on it. <laughs> I'll bring up another subject that you love so well, and the church fathers, and particularly those desert fathers. I'm thinking of Evagoras Ponticus. I'm, I'm, I hope I'm saying his name properly, but he was one of the great desert monks who, again, with those desert fathers, went out in the desert to battle. They, they thought they were getting away from the demons, maybe. From leave, by leaving the city and found that this is where they this is where they encountered them the most strongly, and they vanquished it. They found by just like Jesus in the desert, going back to that gift of scripture, and not only making it a part of themselves, but using that a lot united with Christ to vanquish that which they were encountering. Yeah, they were such experts, and I I, I think actually we're probably. You've had especially secular historians try to read back into their lives this notion that they were escaping the devil. They, they did see themselves escaping temptations in the city. But, but actually, the common notion, you know, them was that the wilderness is the kind of the turf of the devil, that that's the place where, you, where, where the demons reside and where, where, that's where people who are demon-possessed go to Rome. And, and they had good reason for thinking that because you look in the Gospels and you find the demon-possessed peoples, unless there's a child being taken care of by parents, where do they roam? They're out in the wilderness. And you look again, as you mentioned, Jesus, where, where did he encounter the demon most closely? The devil? Out in the wilderness. So they, I think, less than kind of seeing themselves as, as escaping or fleeing, they saw themselves, they talked about how we're going to make the desert or the wilderness a city of God. They, they said, Let's, you know, instead of running from the devil, we're going to run right at him with all the weapons God has given us, and we are going to take back his turf. That's such a you know, powerful attitude. We are going to take back his territory so that even the place that the rest of the world has kind of written off the wilderness and said, yeah, well, that's the devil's territory. You better be careful there. Don't go there. We're going to go out there and take it back from him, and we will make the, the desert city. We will make the desert hills ring with the praises of God that we sing. And we will go out there and do warfare. And sure enough, you know, starting especially with St. Anthony of the Desert, incredible warfare he had with the demons who would physically buffet him and appear to him uh, visually as, as wild animals and that kind of thing. But so many of the others as well, they, they did the battle. They very carefully observed how the devil approached, how, what his strategies were. And then they, would, they didn't usually write about it. We have their writings now, but they, they would teach about it orally and pass on that tradition to the newer monks, the younger monks, and say, okay, this is how the demon does it. This is how he's going to come at you. And I mean, they were like, they were great psychologists. If you take psychology in its literal sense, suke, the study of the suke is the study of the soul. That's what the word actually means. They knew the soul. They knew how the soul is made, how it's put together, how God put it together. And they knew how the enemy would try to, to get his, his little it, it, um, ways of getting into the soul. So anyway, I can't, I can't recommend them too much because they have just wonderful, wonderful uh, insights and anecdotes. They often taught by, te- by example, as Jesus did, only theirs weren't so much parables as they would give true stories of some of the monks. 
And many of the spirits that they were able to identify, we have maybe, uh, I don't want to say take it for granted, but I think we've become so familiar with it that we don't appreciate it, that they were able to identify the spirit of anger, the spirit of lust, the spirit of gluttony. And it all sounds familiar, doesn't it? I mean, now we're talking about what we have come to call the vices, but that those are spirits and that they can be vanquished with the virtue that's found in that scripture that nourishes our hearts and feeds that relationship with Christ. It's so, it is so powerful. And they understood that they, you know, they memorized scripture and they would repeat it again and again. They would pray the scripture, which is something I encourage everyone to do, to learn to pray the scripture. You find prayers in the scripture. I actually, um, uh, George Martin, uh, an author years ago, um, at a, at a book that I um, co-authored with him about praying the scripture. It was a short book, but very powerful thing that you learn to take the words of scripture into your mouth when you're praying. And it becomes a powerful antidote, antidote and it becomes, a, it's like food. I, mean, I think you mentioned that you, the, the, the virtues feed on because it builds your faith, it builds your love. Um, and not just the instructions and the precepts, but the examples that we see in the same biblical figures, especially of Our Lady and some of the apostles and some of the Old Testament characters who maybe you know had even more struggles, or at least that are written about in the book that we can see. But we we read their lives and we see how they struggled and how they overcame. Wow, that's that's powerful. It is uh, imperative then, in in many ways, that if you even want to begin to fight in this this spiritual battle. And it, I think it's one of those that we, we recognize is taking place around us all the time in so many different ways that we do have that, that anchoring in sacred scripture. We do, because this is an area that people can get into trouble with, too, if they have weird ideas <laughs> that they pick up from other sources. I can say for sure from a Pentecostal background that people in what, you know, what they call deliverance ministry, I won't get into specifics, but often got into things that were actually syncretistic and that, um, that word, you know, means that um, that is drawing from other religions and trying to cobble it into Christianity. They would draw f- uh, even from primitive animistic religions in Africa and Asia, notions that aren't really scriptural and aren't part of the Christian tradition, but they would kind of mix it in there. And so it, it is so important that we be anchored in the scripture and in the tradition of the church, um, because there are plenty of people out there, you, you know, you're serious about fighting the enemy, and they say, oh, let me show you how to do it this way. Um, of course, the most extreme version of that would be in, in um, some of the, you know, groups like you would find in AT and other places that will actually kind of say, well, you fight the demon by using another demon. You know, um, I mean, I don't know if it, if it actually says that, but it would call on another power. Or even, uh, you know, if, uh, friends from Mexico who talk about that um, they have some very common in some parts of the culture to to go for healing, but they go to a coradero for it, who's essentially like a witch doctor. Um, now, I'll probably get some people pushing back on me on that and say, well, it's not always the case. I don't know. But I do know in the cases that I've been told about that they were, in the end, they were calling on one demonic power to try to fight another one. Um, so we we have to have to stick with the scripture and with the tradition of the church and be careful about the other things out there that would try to um, distract or especially to confuse us. And that's, you know, in this conversation, as we, we bring this particular conversation to a close, that here we we began talking about the teachings found in the magisterium of the church on these in this area and in its various documents and its different councils 
And then we talked about sacred scripture. And the two will always, always, always complement each other, won't they, Paul? They do. And we need, you know, this, the scripture needs interpretation. Uh, I think it was G.K. Chesterton who once said, you know, the scripture doesn't say anything. People say, what does the Bible say? Well, it doesn't say anything. You have to read it and then say what it says, which means you have to interpret it. And so that's one thing I found, you know, becoming a Catholic. We really need the church's help in interpreting the scripture. You can take it all kinds of ways. So when you're reading the scripture, do it well, but but do it with a good commentary in hand, good you know, Catholic commentary, and uh, and uh, the church will, will lead you. The church will lead you the right way. And as we've said before in the Manual for Spiritual Warfare, under those various areas that you've picked out particular scriptures to begin the the great pondering, but also to engage in what we've called the battle. And I think that's really important that we have those resources, don't you, Paul? It is. They've, um, that's one reason why I spent a lot. There's a, a lot of the pages in that manual are scripture. That's just what they are. Because it's sometimes you know, you've got a big book there and you don't know quite where to go or where to find things. Uh, even if you have a, a concordance, you, know, you could take a concordance and look up every reference to devil and still miss a whole lot of the references to the enemy. Um, so what I've tried to do is, is divide it up into sections and to kind of do the gleaning for you. I mean, you can always find more, I'm sure, in the scripture. But so at least you have a place to start in looking at what the scripture has to say about these things. Very powerful. Any final thoughts on this particular conversation, Paul? Remember our Lord's battle in the wilderness and, um, and remember how he did use scripture. And also remember that we should make that point. The devil tried to quote the scripture back to him to, or, or tried to use it himself to twist it, which is part of what we were saying, that that's why we need help in understanding it. But I would just challenge all your listeners to make it a practice. If you can, every day, even if it's only for five minutes, Read some scripture. If you need some help with it, I did a book um, that's still out there called My Daily Catholic Bible. And if you take that and you read it, it's divided it up into bite-sized bits for each day, 20 minutes of reading each day, and within a year you will have read the whole Bible. But even if you don't go that far, just five minutes, read the scripture and then always pray after you've read, Lord, what does this passage say, number one? And number two, what does it say to me? What are you saying to me through it? The scripture is powerful. Thank you so much, Paul. Thank you, Chris. God bless you. You've been listening to Put on the Armor, a manual for spiritual warfare with Dr. Paul Thigpen. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com or download the free Discerning Hearts app. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Put on the Armor, a manual for spiritual warfare with Dr. Paul Thickpen.